Hello, one and all, and welcome to the Super Show podcast. I'm your host for this week, Jamie, and joining me as ever, even though he has to fight through a, a very sore back, it is my oldest friend on the planet, but not really, Mr. Alex Jones. How are you, sir? Not good. That's, I was gonna. I'm gonna warn people. Like, if I wince or if I cringe or anything during this, it's not what you're saying. It's the fact that yeah, I've got a proper dodgy back today. So um, I mean, you know. let's not speak too soon. I might pull out a couple of hot takes and trash opinions that do make you wince or cringe. Um, if we could squeeze a couple of yelps in there as well, I actually think we'd be looking at a pretty action-packed podcast. I'll, I'll try. I'll try to get some in. Okay, and I will keep, in all seriousness, fingers crossed that we don't have to see you wincing in pain. Um, in all seriousness, thank you very much for not just being here, Jonesy, but also uh, making sure this whole operation is running. I, I, I don't know whether or not to give people peeks behind the camera because they're rarely as interesting as I sometimes make them out to be, but I, I actually just rocked up and turned my computer on uh, roughly nine minutes ago, and, um, and my co-host here, uh, battling through the pain, fighting through the pain, with gnawing and gnashing teeth, um, well, is the entire reason that anything is live right now. So thank you, Jonesy, in all seriousness. Uh, yeah, you are most welcome. It's for, I do it for the fans, what can I say? Uh, we, You know, the, the, they are the reason that we are here. They're the reason that we continue to soldier on, and um, we welcome them all, whether they are watching live on YouTube right now. This is, of course, a live-streamed podcast, so if you're with us, welcome. Um, I don't have any eyes on the chat at the moment, Jonesy, but maybe we can say a couple of uh, greetings in just a moment. But I will also remind you that if you don't catch the live streamed version of this podcast, you can, of course, watch it on YouTube after the fact. There's a VOD, which for anyone that doesn't know, stands for Video On Demand. The On Demand part meaning you can watch it whenever you want. You can watch it while you masturbate. Just at, at night, throwing ideas out. Who can say? Um, you can also catch us on Twitter. The handle for that is at SuperShowPod for any social media shenanigans. And of course, the audio version of this podcast is available on podcasting platforms, places like Spotify, iTunes, and of course, Google Podcasts. Do we have any brave nomads in the live stream chat today, Jonesy? Or is it a barren wasteland? It, right now, it's a barren wasteland. I'm sure some people join us with oh, voice. So we've actually, yeah. we've actually pulled the trigger quite quickly on this one. Um, and we've started a little late. So uh, we might see people sort of start to come in, dribs and drabs as, as we're cracking on. It's all my fault. I take full responsibility. Well, as people are um, easing themselves into the podcast, whether they are watching or listening to this after the fact, or coming along in their dribs and drabs to the live stream, shall we ease people into the month um, of video games? Because that is technically the subject of choice for this podcast of which we are a part of by discussing some of the hot new releases that we have to look forward to over the next handful of weeks. Yeah, I want to know what's coming out. Um, you might want to know what's coming out, Jancy, but I've got a funny feeling that once I tell you, uh, you might be slightly less enthused. Um, yeah. Do you remember when we were going crazy over how stacked October was? Oct October was a pretty good month, wasn't it? So November's got a hard yeah. month to beat. <laughs> I have to feel it's not going to get uh, there. Yeah, it turns out that the industry kind of squeezed out all its juice in October, and there are a couple of highlights left for November, um, but uh, it's a little it was slim pickings a little bit. Apart from fans for fans of um, spreadsheets and stats, because yeah. they can indulge in football manager football manager twenty twenty four as of today at the time of recording. So if you love your football and you love numbers even more, then that's the place to be. Um, however, I feel like when it comes to our audience, Jonesy. 
less people like football, more people just like Asia. Um, I'm just going to use that as a bracket term. Um, most of them I'm talking about some form of anime or manga or even hentai, I guess, as the kids say. Um, and for those of you who uh, can't get enough of uh, turning Japanese, then you can go to Like a Dragon Guy Den, the man who erased his name out on November 9th. Um, also out on November 9th for people who can't get enough of a fill from things out east. Uh, some DLC from Tales of Arise. It's called Beyond the Dawn. And then just the day after that, Jonesy, one of the subjects of um, maybe one of our more contentious news stories that we're going to be talking about today, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. Can't wait. Um, yeah, that launches fully on November 10th, but Activision made the bold, bold move to allow those who have pre-ordered the game to start playing the campaign a week early, which has meant we have got one of our juiciest news stories of the week as a result. So for them, uh, for that, we thank them. Um, what follows, Jonesy, is a bit of a mismatch of uh, games that I'm not sure will ever come out and ports of games that have already come out. Um, the day before, for example, uh, slated here for November 10th, but I heard some rumblings the other day that that was delayed. So who knows with the day before? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it never came out. Hogwarts Legacy, finally getting a Switch port. For those of you who want to see just how muddy and how much like, melted plastic that looks like on a handheld, you can get your answer on November 14th. Something that I know will be right up your alley, Jonesy. Um, flashback 2. Can't November wait 16th. Yeah, I took, kind of took my eye off that. That's a, fu a fully-fledged sequel to Flashback in the year of our Lord 2023. That doesn't feel like a real sentence. No, that, it's. I'm trying to think how long it must have been. It must have been almost 30 years now since Flashback came out. So that's going to be, uh, that's probably one of the longest sort of interim periods between a, a game and its sequel that there's been. Do you know what? It's going to be in the running. Someone, uh, someone re either really smart or really bored or both in the community should do a bit of homework on that and find out what the longest gap is between any two official sequels. Um, but sometimes, Jonesy, it's not just sequels that we have to wait a long time for, it's remakes. And when it comes to Nintendo, there is no telling the depths that they will plunder when it comes to material for re-releases. And Super Mario RPG is gracing Nintendo systems once again when that comes out on November 17th. On the same day, fans of Persona 5 uh, can play that game again, but this time in the form of this weird uh, real-time strategy, like cute chibi character thing <laughs> called Persona 5 Tactica. I would explain it a little bit more if I understood it a little bit more. And then finally, Biomutant, that game that you'd forgotten had already come out, is getting ported to the Switch on November 30th to round out what is a whelming month, I'd say. There are fans of certain series like Yakuza, or I should say the artist formerly known as Yakuza, Call of Duty, um, they're going to be well-serviced this month. And of course, Super Mario RPG and Flashback 2 offer you know, slightly more niche offerings for, for fans of those prospective franchises. But otherwise, it's not the blockbuster month that October was. It's not. However, I think we need it. We need a, a, a quiet month to get us ready for um, Christmas season. Um, you know, when we're going to have more stuff coming out, there's going people going to be buying more games just to give us that breather as well, because, um, you know, a lot of people have got a lot of stuff to finish, a lot of stuff to play. I am definitely one of them. So I'm glad that there's a little bit of a, a slower month. Yes, I, I actually agree. I feel like every time you, Chris, and I have some kind of a conversation about what's in our gaming backlog at the moment over WhatsApp, there's inevitably some mention of whether it's Tears of the Kingdom or Baldur's Gate 3 or some kind of critically acclaimed revelation of a video game that we somehow haven't had any chance to play. So the idea of a, a quieter November and from memory an almost barren temper 
depending on how excited you are to play a Far Cry game where you have blue skin, um, there'll be plenty of opportunities to to catch up on um, the games that you've missed and to eliminate some titles from your backlogs. Um, but Jonesy, one time, just I'm, I'm just fixing. To, so I was actually I, so there, we did have some comments, and I just want to say hello to people. The chat wasn't working. I've just refreshed it. So can I just quickly, before we move on, can I just give a quick shout out to people catching us live on YouTube? Let me give a shout out to Magni, to Damir Kalu, blimey, Damir Kalagirajira. I said definitely said that wrong. Sam Russell, uh, Classy Cat, are joining us in the chat. Thank you very much for joining us. And Rodrigo as well. Hey, hey, all of you. Glad to have you here. And apologies for butchering your name, Damir. I don't know whether you said it right or wrong, Jonesy. I'm just glad you said it. I almost want to make you say it again. Kalagjira. Kalagjira, I'm going to go with. That, that that sounds appropriate. I don't know. Yeah, I feel like you're on the money. Again, I can't even see it in front of me, but I'm backing you. Um, unfortunately, Jonesy, one thing I can't back is underwhelming, very short campaigns. Um, yes. Can you see where I'm going with this? I can. I mean, this is... We often joke about like uh, IGN reviews and how they they don't ever give any game uh, like AAA you know full fledged game a low rating. So this week has yeah. been a bit of a surprise. Um, as yeah, Modern Warfare Three has received an absolute battering from IGN for the their campaign review ahead of its actual official release date. It has indeed. In fact, IGN's review has sunk all the way down to a four out of ten for the campaign component of Modern Warfare Three. Especially to like to piggyback on what you're saying, it felt like for a long time Call of Duty was the almost quintessential example of the kind of reviews that IGN, in some people's eyes, inflated this idea that you know every single Call of Duty game just seemed to slip through the net with a nine out of ten. Obviously, that hasn't really been the case for the past three years or so. It feels like the procession of Black Ops Cold War and Vanguard, and to a certain extent Modern Warfare Two, IGN got a little bit better at being critical of them and maybe reading the room. But this is um, perhaps a new low for what, again, a lot of people were anticipating just by name alone and by promise alone would be this resounding cinematic climactic end to uh, what was once Infinity Ward's new and improved Modern Warfare saga, but has now obviously been left in the hands of Sledgehammer. And if you buy into some of the rumors that we've been covering since early summer, um, a project that Sledgehammer didn't have an awful lot of time uh, with, which perhaps goes some way to explaining why some elements of the campaign have come out uh, the way that they have. Uh, shall we Shall we dig in a little bit as to um, what yeah. exactly has gone so wrong and what the folks are saying? Because it's not just IGN. No, it's yeah. it's it's um yeah, it's unfortunately it's it, if it was just IGN, you could maybe say that oh, it's just an outlier or it's not actually that bad. But no, from from what a lot of people have had uh, the early access, as we've said, have had it's it's sounding pretty dire. Yes, indeed. Um, in fact, kind of bold of Activision to give people a seven-day early access to this campaign when supposedly this campaign could be completed in as little as three to four hours. I've heard some reports of people being able to cash in at uh, sub-three hours if they rush through certain sections. Uh, certain levels in particular, as we'll get to in a moment, uh, might be easier to rush through than others because of the way that they are structured. Uh, more on that in a moment. But um, it sounds as though this is one of, if not the shortest campaign a Call of Duty game has had in recent memory. Uh, it's perhaps as, as as little as half of Modern Warfare 2's campaign. Um, 
And to compound this, Jonesy, before we get to the gameplay elements and before we get to the way the campaign is structured, it's not just a three to four hour long campaign. It's also an underwhelming three to four hour long campaign. One that has the goal to introduce a villain like Makarov, who was, of course, central to the original Modern Warfare trilogy, and to introduce ideas that were, again, iconic going back, uh, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, like No Russian, for example, but all of which largely to no end. Uh, this has been described as uh, as lackluster in part because of its unfulfilling ending. I, I hesitate to say whether or not this is a spoiler, but I, I personally don't think it is. I've heard many mentions of the fact that this isn't even necessarily the end of the new Modern Warfare saga, but really just another middle chapter, which then I guess leaves the door open for a Modern Warfare 4 or 5, which then contain more story content and maybe sit through to a satisfying conclusion but i think it's fair to say that if that is the plan that is not what people thought that they were buying into when they pre-ordered this game uh, to get their hands on that cam campaign right from a story perspective no not at all and it, what makes it even worse is i think modern warfare the original trilogy was like a standout for storytelling in like the cod game universe you know we've had some missteps um we've had some it, there's been some issues with campaigns in the past um, but I think you, you know, you sort of hold Modern Warfare up as, oh, this is, this is a series in the COD, you know, the COD world that is going to fulfill you on the, on the campaign side, on the single player side, you're going to get some really great characters, some really great storytelling, some fantastic action moments. And then to hear that they've effectively, from what it sounds like, like phoned it in, you know, uh, like you said, sub four hour campaign, not delivered those plot points, not delivered like the, um, maybe some of the character building and that but stuck that modern warfare 3 stamp on it is it's yeah. really um, um it's a real shame really for for fans of the series um like cause i put myself in that category so i am not one of these people that buy modern warfare every year oh sorry cod every year to play the multiplayer i like it because i like the single player campaign i think the gun handling's fantastic and then the cherry on top is multiplayer is warzone um but it sounds like they've completely inverted that um with this game and that it's yeah they've just not done enough and they've we, I believe that we said before in a previous show that we were worried that with the open combat missions that they were effectively just rehashing multiplayer assets, and it sounds like that is exactly what they've done. Yeah, I, like it, it's fascinating. I, I don't know which episode of this podcast you'd have to go back to to hear us um, air out some of those initial concerns, uh, but I, I remember specifically from the very first moment they described open combat missions and from the very first time they started previewing gameplay elements and we saw snippets of regions that they had already made maps for in other parts of the game Verdansk in particular is one that of course ha has featured very prominently in the warzone game mode but has also been reutilized in other areas and uh, seemingly in parts of this campaign um we had serious concerns about whether or not they would just be rehashing mechanics and ideas that they had already created and implemented for other parts of the game and essentially trying to uh, extend the length of the plot and extend the length of the campaign through these kinds of missions where you're essentially dropped into these big open-ended maps given objectives that might see you have to cross a significant amount of, um, you know, of, of land. But because, Jonesy, they haven't been able to you know, funnel you in any particular way. They haven't been able to create these sort of trademark cinematic uh, Call of Duty moments, these set pieces, because you're essentially just, you know, crossing a large part of land as you would in Warzone or perhaps more, um, uh, perhaps more accurately, the DMZ mode that we saw in Modern Warfare 2, um, where you're coming up against collections or clusters of essentially bots. And it's really kind of bringing out the worst of the AI, because again, 
rather than the player being funneled across a very particular route and seeing certain things and certain actions popping off at certain times, as you'd expect from a Call of Duty campaign, you're just like driving a quad bike into a camp where a bunch of enemies are standing around for you to get there so you can uh, hold square on a weird satellite box and complete an objective and move on to the next thing. And that that doesn't sound like what you and I have traditionally come for. Like, it's exactly what you said when, even when you know you were talking about Black Ops Cold War and Vanguard and maybe the IGN reviews were dropping to like a 7 or an 8, there was still this kind of precedent precedent where you knew you were going in and you were having like five, six hours of like basically playing a movie. You were switching your brain off, you were shooting your gun, explosions were going off around you. That was the bare minimum. When the bare minimum gets scrubbed away, you're not left with much else. No, and it, it's it, it does sound like um, like for some of these open areas that they've given us the open combat missions, and they've sort of said, oh, you can you know approach them tactically in multiple ways in order to um, do it how you want to do it. Is something that we've heard from multiple companies in the past number of years, when effectively they've they've tried to make some more of something they don't have, and they've tried to say, no, you do it your way, which makes it more exciting. And you're like, is it that, or is it the fact that you maybe don't have the time or the inclination to sort of put the time into linear level designs so you've tried to do this when actually i don't have multiple ways of of doing a mission and, and you know tactically approaching something which is mm. which is almost ironic because modern warfare 2 did do it to some degree like they had a few ways of you know you raiding those um uh, areas where enemies were and actually you could like gas through the vent or you could like kick in a door and that was maybe yep. the um uh, an early iteration of that but it seems like this time they've they've gone oh no we've made this bigger and better and you can do more and like, oh no no they haven't they've just said they've said it without it being true and it's almost like exactly. a, a um it's almost like a, a fallout 76 scenario where they're like you make the fun and you're like do i do i make the fun because i hoped you would because i was going to pay you 70 pounds for the pleasure right there are plenty of games out there uh, very successful ones at like that that are all about you finding the fun or making your own fun call of duty has never been one of them and i think it's very important that you bring up modern warfare 2 as well because even some of the more unpopular elements of modern warfare 2's campaign you remember the almost behind enemy line stealth missions that some people even thought were reminiscent of you know stealth action games like the last of us where you're collecting like bottles and yeah. plastic and stuff like that and even the, like those mechanics were bespoke they appeared nowhere else in that entire game across any game mode because that was an idea they had and they implemented it and it didn't work for everyone, but at least they tried something. When you look at the mechanics that seem to populate these open combat missions, you are really talking about, you know, the same inventory and sort of backpack system that we've seen in Warzone and DMZ, the same way of like opening lockers and, and finding weapons and those weapons having certain amount of attachments on them to indicate their kind of quality or rarity. Um, and, and like I said, the, the same kind of, AI and combat encounters that we've grown to expect or come to expect because um, AI was a factor in not just uh, uh, DMZ but also Warzone 2.0 this time last year. So it doesn't feel new or original. It doesn't work in the context of the Call of Duty campaign and it robs so many people of what they come to a Call of Duty game from every year. I had an estimation earlier on that if you combine the kind of more traditional linear Call of Duty segments of this campaign together, then you're left with about an hour of what people tend to believe is the core single-player Call of Duty experience. And that, I don't know if this is a strong word to use, that just seems a bit pathetic to me. It, it, I mean, it, it, to what? 
Oh, it's, mm. it's just gonna say no. It, I wanna. It does. It 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 sounds in indicative of um, what we were kind of fearing, which was that Sledgehammer were parachuted in to pick this up to make a game out of it in with you know in record time, and that they were going to try and get it done, and it was going to get done, and they were going to make a COD game this year. You know, it wasn't they weren't going to put it off, um, and what's happened is they've they've probably done the best with the time they had available getting it released for that winter um you know christmas holiday season release date and the cynical side of me says that maybe not only did they do the best they could but they kind of said ah who cares at the end of the day as long as we get it out the most people play the multiplayer stuff anyway and as long as we get it out we're gonna we'll be okay um but I mean, I hope that's not the case. And I hope that they did try and do the best they could. And maybe they thought that they managed to pull it off. Like maybe they did. And when this drops, I wouldn't be surprised if, if from the um, uh, player side that, that rev the rating, you know, the four out of 10 from IGN goes up to something like a six or a seven, just based on the fact that, you know, it's a COD game. It's going to have good gun handling. It's going to have um, good gun mechanics. Sounds going to be really good and things like that. And apparently there are a couple of um, of good COD missions in here. Uh, hidden among like a lot of yeah. crap but i think the problem's going to be is for the majority of people that that sort of like you said say hold on i'm used to like six or seven hours of of this sort of movie adventure shooting and i've effectively got an hour of it that's not good enough. yeah yeah it's it's not good enough um and i think the the, the reason i kind of hesitated earlier and the caveat that i like to you know add to the the, the uh, when i suggested that it was pathetic is that it's not a pathetic effort and it's not like that, saying that Sledgehammer pathetic. I think it's that the, 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 we go back to those rumors from when this you know, this year's Call of Duty, let's just say, was first being discussed. Like there were very credible sources putting their, you know, their, their kind of their, like not not their jobs on the line, but they were putting themselves out there and saying, hey, this, the, you know, Call of Duty aren't going to have a premium package released this year. Uh, there was lots of talk of this being an expansion to Modern Warfare 2. Some people even believe that those theories are um, proved right by the fact that when you buy this title on the PlayStation 5, it actually shows up as DLC to Modern Warfare 2. Right. So if you wanted to check your trophies, you have a Modern Warfare 3 tab inside of Modern Warfare 2, and as a result, Modern Warfare 3 on the PlayStation 5 doesn't even have a Platinum because it, the, place to the, the PlayStation OS considers it an expansion. Um, but it is being, but it is being printed to a disc. It is being put in a box. That box will be on store shelves, and you know, people all around the world will be buying it for seventy dollars this Christmas. Um, See, that's utter mad. Like that's that's the yeah, that's the frustration I have. But they, what's strange about this is they, they should have. I think they should have undone what they did. So I, I understand, you know, it's going to be an expansion, and then they rolled it back and said, no, it's going to be the third one. Go back to making an expansion. Someone should have sat down with this and said, "This is not a full game. Stick two point five on the box, and we'll yeah. we'll drop it for fifty quid instead of seventy, and we'll call it." Yeah. you know that would have made. And then no, people then couldn't get annoyed in the same way because they this wouldn't have the Modern Warfare Three tech, like you know name. Mm -hmm. It seems bizarre that they didn't. The marketing team didn't choose to do that. I mean, they could have come out and said, "No, no, that's what we were going to do all along," like knowing full well that wasn't the case, but. Right. It, yes, it almost seems like strange that they didn't go back to that because then I get back to being cynical and I'm like, is that just because they want the full price tag on it? Like, which I hope that's not the case, but I, but then you never know, and like you also then begin to wonder. Talk about like sliding doors. 
if the Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard had happened a little bit sooner, and all of a sudden they had you know Microsoft money to play with, and people like you know Phil Spencer at the tippity top of the mountain calling shots, and maybe Bobby Cote was out of the picture, like maybe a slightly healthier or more consumer friendly middle ground was found. I, I actually kind of dig the idea of them being honest about it and calling it like maybe not Modern Warfare two point five, but like Modern Warfare subtitle and releasing it as a not full price game. Um, but you, but I think you also made a very salient point earlier when you talked about the Call of Duty package. Of course, you know we are in this weird middle ground at the moment where this game hasn't released, and all we are doing is sitting around talking about a campaign that I can guarantee, uh, as two people can testify to, more, more, a lot of the people talking about this haven't experienced it firsthand. Opinions might change as more people do so. Treyarch have obviously stepped in as they are known to do to help with the zombies side of um, the package when the final game comes out. It's going to be the first time the Modern Warfare sub-series has had a zombies entry, so potential, you know, potentially fruitful ground there for something interesting. And then, of course, you've got the multiplayer component, which was, uh, as far as I could tell, pretty well received during its beta period. And then lastly, you've got Warzone, which is going to obviously inherit all of the mechanics and systems of Modern Warfare 3, even granted if they are very similar to Model Fed 2 on paper, and then a brand new Warzone map launching with Season 1 in sort of December time, it's it's probably, like you were saying, too early to say what the kind of the lasting memory of Modern Warfare 3 will be. Um, do you think that that means that this probably won't end up having a tangible impact on the popularity of Call of Duty going forward? Or do you think uh, that there may well start to be some fracturing of you know what at this stage could be very long relationships between the franchise and certain gamers i like realistically it's probably not we probably won't have that much of an effect on gamers who play cod um it it will have a, a maybe a minimal impact on the people like me that play it primarily for the single player campaign i one thing that i um i think is damning is that the first Call of Duty game to release under Microsoft, whilst this was obviously developed before Microsoft uh, took over Activision Blizzard, Microsoft are getting whacked at the moment. They're getting slapped around the face mm. from multiple people, multiple directions. And even though it's often not them who's done it, it looks really bad for them. And and people have had to say, hey, look, it's not them. We, we did this. It's, this hasn't come from the top. You know, um, and I, I think that's... Yeah, it's, it's, it sucks for Microsoft because I think it does look bad for them because now they are the parent company. And so I think it could have a knock-on, but I think it's more likely to have a knock-on for um, like Microsoft's uh, Microsoft's start of, of being the company that the OPC yeah. Call of Duty. Um, and that's not yeah. where you want to start, right? You want to, They want to start with a bang and they're not. Of course, yeah, of course. Um, but then by the same token... This is now the beginning of Microsoft's opportunity to have a lot more say in what is still, you know, the, on consoles, at least the biggest franchise going. And they might be looking at this and saying, yeah, this is a bit of a rough PR situation to inherit immediately after a deal is closed. But we can, in the future, make very unactivision like decisions around this franchise. We can, you know, skip a year. We can give uh, teams more time. We can create more or clearer definitions between which teams work on what. So you don't have a situation where every Call of Duty has, yes, a lead studio, but like if Treyarch had to rush their work on Zombies to get it in time for Modern Warfare 3, then that means Treyarch, or at least some portion of them, weren't focusing on next year's game, which is meant to be 
their turn, right? So, like, it is, it does become this bit of a mess where if if you're all hands on deck every year, then eventually, like, you're not, you don't have a clear studio system. You just have a, a constant cycle of everyone having to help out. Um, so, I do hope that Microsoft can steady that ship. I question then. Do we see Call of Duty skip a year inside the next five years? I was just going to ask you exactly the same question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, th I think they skip next year. I think they skip next year. They come back with Modern Warfare 4 and they absolutely nail it. Like, the, they ha they have to, like, just knock it out of the park. Um, and I think, it, I don't even think that would be that, diff that tricky to do. Give yourselves two years, start now. Uh, you know, as long as this is... Um, while short, as long as it's like functional and not buggy and glitchy and things like that, I think tr effectively try and like draw a line under it. Let people play the multiplayer. Let people play Warzone. Give yourselves two years and come back with a the the modern warfare to end all modern warfares, and give us the, the game that you know we we would love to see off the back of something like this happen. Um, what do you what do you think? Do you think we see a, a break? I think I think we could see a break. I think it depends sort of where different studios are honest, if they're being honest with themselves on their various projects, um, you know, going forward. Again, it's, because it, it's so, it is very confusing with like whose year it was meant to be and who was doing what. And but, like, if Sledgehammer picked this thing up, then was this thing that Sledgehammer were working on scrapped entirely and, you know, where a Treyarch at and so on and so forth. But I do think that I agree with you that whatever happens, it's in Microsoft's best interest to clear a very uh, direct and and simple and obstacle-free path for Infinity Ward in particular to get to the culmination of and like the wrapping up of their Modern Warfare saga in um, bombastic fashion. And you know what? Like Call of Duty Modern Warfare was only only came out four years ago, and that was. It felt like a real shakeup of the Call of Duty formula, like from an engine perspective, from a gameplay perspective. That was a campaign that was filled with memorable missions. Some people still look back to the open house mission. That campaign is one of the more unique and refreshing camp like story missions that we've had in the whole series. Um, they're clearly a very talented team, um, and they clearly kind of take the lead on a lot of Call of Duty oriented um, things. So, clear a bit of a runway for them let them kind of put this whatever fucking happened to this game behind them um hope that there isn't too much love lost and yeah and, and just create a, a clear rotating studio system where everyone knows where their priorities lie everyone knows what they're working on and everyone's given the time and the space to to do so healthily um for the sake of the game's health and the employee's health um that's very um perhaps uh, perhaps slightly naive of me to hope for that I, 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 it's going to be fascinating to see how Microsoft handle a setup like like Call of Duty because it's just so gargantuan. Um, it's almost hard to apply what they've done with the studios they've with they've that they've bought and taken over so far to something like that. Because even like the even even Bethesda, which was the next biggest acquisition, you know they've let them kind of continue to operate on their own terms and they've got their own publishing division and their own marketing teams and it's the xbox and bethesda showcase every summer we're going to see something like that as well but like bobby kotick's out of the picture next year you know the the mic like the, the things are going to change at activision and blizzard and king and so but it's just to what i just don't know um you, you find the, hopes. the real reason they kept bobby kotick on was so that they could uh, like put call of duty modern warfare 3 as a his failing before they sweep him under the carpet i think is it march of next year that he's gone 
Um, so may- maybe that's one of the reasons why we found out a couple of weeks ago that he was staying for a bit longer. Was because then yeah. now we can blame Bobby for everything and move on in glorious fashion. But yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll see. Um, if I mean, I'll be honest, Jonesy. If Microsoft are in the in the you know playing the blame game at the moment, then there is an as you alluded to earlier, there is an awful lot going on. Not all of it positive, and a fair amount of it uh, happening at the hands of the uh, recently sealed Activision Blizzard King uh, deal. Uh, a bit more on that in just a moment um, as we uh, get arrive at our second story. But it, it, I did, Jonesy, just want to take a brief moment, if it's okay with you. Can I interrupt you? you or... Oh, please do. Um, can I, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Pastors Guild, who's come in uh, to the show in spectacular fashion with a $2 um, super chat donation. Uh, to say made it teacher now so can't be on time uh, unfortunately but we're glad that you did make it and you weren't that late pastors guild so it's all good thank you very much for the two dollar donation um thank you jamie thank you yeah thank you very much pastors guild thank you jonesy and yes uh, as someone whose brother is a teacher and i was literally just texting him tonight talking about how difficult it is for us to find time to um go for a drink because of parents evenings and the like um uh, i understand where you're coming from but i'm very glad you're able to make it um, just as glad as I am to be able to say that this podcast, Jonesy, is still made possible by the love and support and the generosity of our patrons. They are the kind folk that have gone over to patreon.com forward slash super show. And what they've done, Jonesy, and, and follow along if you can, is that they've, they've taken a look at the various tiers at which you can pledge support at. And they've taken a look at the benefits and the rewards for pledging certain amounts of money and reaching certain tiers. And they've said, you know what? This looks like great value. I'm in. Even if it wasn't great value, even if they don't give a shit about the rewards and the extras, they said, I feel sorry for these two fuckers. I'm going to kick them back some money anyway. Um, There's a $2 tier. There's a $5 tier, $10 tier. You can find a price that's right for you. If any price is right at all. And you can get things like access to a Discord server. You can check out Patreon-exclusive podcasts. You can check out Patreon-exclusive videos. And in fact, Jonesy, just the past week, we recorded something that I guess uh, straddles the line between the two. We recorded our our spoiler cast of uh, the Insomniac Games-developed Marvel's Spider-Man 2, uh, taking advantage of the fact that both of us finished the game while there was still some reason to have a discussion about it. Um, So... Uh, if the idea of content like that that isn't available anywhere else and a bunch more stuff not just the things that we're going to continue making in the future but all the back catalogue of patreon exclusive content sounds like something you're interested in then the link to check out is patreon.com forward slash super show and i'm very glad to be able to say jersey that some fine folk have done so already there are some names on screen right now of some wonderful individuals and we thank them all very much for their generosity but on top of that I would like to give a personal shout out to Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Ice Not Rock Salt, Jesper Camdahl Nielsen, Pastors Guild, and then of course we have the big dogs, the members of the board, Brett Z, aka Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Read, Manuel Guerrero, and of course Peaswad. So to each and every one of you, to every patron listening to this past, present and or future, uh, we thank you all very much for your generosity and um, for keeping this thing going, eh, Jonesy? Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks to everybody. Thank you for supporting us. Um, even if it's uh, to come onto the chat and say hello to us or to uh, drop a like um, or a comment, 
Uh, we are very grateful indeed. Um, I, I do need to say though, Jamie, someone has made a personal request on chat. Um, okay. They, AG, this is coming from, says, full fat Jamie pillow, please. Say <laughs> so they want the Von hey, Do you know what? It, it's been discussed in the past. I don't know how far any of those discussions actually got. We, we did look at one point um, at the possibility of getting some some themed or some personalized pillows, but I don't think they were full body pillows, were they? I, I remember looking at a mock-up of, it made me look like an egg, which some would say I do already, especially if I shave my beard off, but it was just an egg with my face on it, in the, but it was also a pillow. Would it, would it be life, in your mind, would the body, would, the, would a full-size pillow be life-sized? As in, rather than just human-sized, it would be as big as you. Because see, people probably don't know that you're not you're quite the tall feather. So if they want a pillow the size of you, it's gonna be a, a fairly large pillow. It's not gonna be. Jamie is not a five foot two, uh, slight fella. <laughs> we're talking. We're talking. Its feet are gonna be dangling off the end of your bed. If you I'd never considered that body pillow. because body body pillows usually go for the kind of the anime girl archetype, don't they? Which and they would be slightly more slight, uh, both in sort of silhouette and in height. Um, I do like the idea that, you know, some people like heavy pillows and like heavy duvets. Yes, like they almost, yeah. I do like the idea of someone that matches something that matches not just my height, but also my weight. So that people, now that would be a real pillow for fanatics and freaks. I think if that's the case, it has to have separate arms that they can wrap around themselves so that the pillow can hug them back. I, 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 you know what? I wish there were a custom pillow company out there that could put something like this together. Um, <laughs> I actually won my one myself, um, which sounds like uh, something out of a cutscene in Alan Wake Two. Someone <laughs> hugging an identical pillow version of themselves. Um, but I don't know. Never say never. I guess is what what I'd say. We'll see. We'll keep. We'll we'll uh, keep the idea brewing. We'll maybe contact some uh, pillow companies and see. You probably you probably find it's just ridiculously expensive to get a, a person sized body pillow with uh, like your likeness printed on it. Would just be extortionate yeah. so we couldn't do it because there have been people who have i genuinely believed them when they've said that they'd buy one but i don't know if you can go to a custom pillow company and say like we want a six foot tall body pillow exactly in this image because we know three to four people who might buy one yeah they, they want like three to four thousand people that are going to buy one from exactly all the more reason for, if you're listening to this, to spread the good word of the Super Show. I think if you're one of the folks who want a pillow of either of us, then you owe it to us to make sure that the world knows that this is something that um, that people need right now. And um, I don't know. I just feel like there are a lot of people whose lives could be improved dramatically by the presence of a pillow of either one of us, Jonesy. You, you may well be right. You may well be right. Um, someone else who might need a pillow to cling on to, uh, especially because he has an increasing number of reasons to cry himself to sleep at night, is Phil Spencer. Um, that's actually a gross exaggeration. Phil Spencer's probably doing great right now. He's probably very happy that that acquisition was wrapped up. He's been to BlizzCon. He got to stand on stage and talk about franchises that he probably never thought he'd touch with a barge pole as someone associated with Xbox and Microsoft. But here we are. But... If we were to open things out, Jonesy, a little bit broader, then we would realise that I had forgotten to ask you what you've been up to this week. I, I, do you know what? I'll keep it very brief um, because I want to hear about Phil Spencer. But I, do you know what? I have watched the entirety of the miniseries on Netflix um, called Bodies, starring uh, Snatch, his own uh, Stephen Graham. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a wonderful man. 
yes, based on a comic book. Uh, it was a enjoyable sci-fi, um, uh, sort of like almost dystopian future-esque time-skipping series. Uh, and I think it was I think it was done in seven or eight episodes, so you know, very easily e- easy to get through. Um, although I will say, the sci-fi is rather unfulfilling at, at times. Some of the answers to questions aren't that good. And then I read one of those articles, which was like the things they changed from the graphic novel to the series and the and mm. I'm now thinking that maybe the graphic novel didn't butcher the sci-fi in quite the same way that the the series might have done. But but the series was very good, and I I recommend it if you can, um, you know, what would you call it? Give them dramatic license to get some of the some of the time travel stuff a bit wrong. But there we go. Inter- do you know what is funny about that? I saw you know a little sort of placeholder card on you know you get these kind of TV guides when you have a satellite or a cable TV set up for that show and. I think every time I see Stephen Graham looking somewhat disheveled, I tell myself it's going to be some kind of a crime procedural. I didn't know that there was a a sci-fi hook at all. Um, so to hear that that's the part that they maybe dropped the ball on is actually a bit of a bummer because he's a he's a very talented dude and a very engaging screen presence. I will I will say they only dropped the ball at the very very end, and it's for one of those reasons. It's for one of the you know the sci-fi reasons where it's like if we could if we couldn't have done this, then it wouldn't have worked. So we just did it. And I'm like, okay, it's a, okay. it's a little bit annoying, but I get why I I do get it. But yeah, it's definitely still worth a watch. It doesn't detract from the rest of the series, and I say go for, go for it anyway. Fair enough. I can kind of relate as well because, uh, and don't ask me why, but this past week I rewatched the Cameron Crowe film Vanilla Sky, starring oh. Tom Cruise, which is a film that, again, on rewatching, I realised I liked far more as a Cameron Crowe film with a um. A, 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 essentially pretending that nothing weird is going on at all and looking at it as primarily almost like a romance film before that romance is uh, literally um, sort of uh, has a head-on collision with a, with a rather ugly lo- love triangle. Um, but there's something about that, that that film's like almost like quaint, positive atmosphere and it's sort of like chintzy, quirky, um, licensed soundtrack and Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruz very clearly being very much in love with one another. Mm. Um, that that I was that as soon as Vanilla Sky becomes Vanilla Sky, I was like, oh, weird. I don't know how I feel about this anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, speaking of also weird films with excuse me, weird uh, pieces of media with uh, incredibly confusing and twisty narratives and lots going on. I'm still playing Alan Wake too, and I don't have a huge amount more uh, to say about it. I think I'm probably going to save it till I finished it. And I haven't, disappointingly. Um, I have seen one of the most extraordinary sequences I've seen in a video game all year. But to say anything more than that would be um, a spoiler. But let's just say, like, if 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 people remembered the ashtray maze long after they'd rolled credits on Control, yeah, um, there are things that Anna Wait Two does that, whether or not they'll be as effective for everyone, hard to say. But they're clearly gunning for that same kind of degree of uh, memorability. You, I, I'm not. You, you can't not right. If you'd have made that and heard how everyone reacted to the ashtray maze, you cannot come out of that and then make Alan Wake two and just like ignore it. But you know there were meetings of like, what's our ashtray maze in the in Alan Wake two? You know they had the meetings <laughs> like specifically around that. I mean, yeah, I I, I, I can't believe it. Fair play. Yeah, uh, do you know what? As as I kind of made clear, I'm sure to a certain extent on last week's episode of the podcast, fair play to them in a lot of different degrees. The more the more you play that game, the more uh, aware you become that they are taking, you know, pulling the kind of punches um, 
that not a lot of other companies do when they're trying to make something that is a, you know, a commercially viable title in the AAA video game space. Um, it seems like, I think I read an article earlier today that was like, if there were people in the room who were asking questions like, do you think the audience would understand that? Or do you think the audience would accept that? They were very quickly either A, shouted down, or B, asked to leave the room entirely. Um, <laughs> that's brilliant. And that's, but it's refreshing. Um, alas, though, that's uh, what we've been up to in the past week. If we pivot back to the news very quickly, the Jonesy, um, there are far more severe and grave, at least in financial uh, terms, things happening around the industry. And as we suggested, one of them does regrettably involve Microsoft. Um, and I guess what is technically now their newfound involvement in the Overwatch League, as a result of, of course, the Overwatch League's attachment and connections to Activision Blizzard, which are now part of the Microsoft family. Uh, now, you might know a little bit more of this story about this story than I do, because uh, you uh, did some research on it um, and provided some facts just prior to us going live. So if I do fuck up at any point, then please do step in and correct me. But essentially, the Overwatch League's top uh, 20 teams, and a reminder that the Overwatch League is the most expensive esports league ever assembled, are currently voting on whether or not they want Activision Blizzard to, to dissolve the league after six years. Um, the result, uh, excuse me, the vote is happening um, because Activision Blizzard have approached these teams and shown them a plan for Overwatch 2's future, um, which supposedly involves a potential contract with a Saudi Arabian state-owned ESL FASIC group who would be in line to run the 2024 Overwatch season, um, which would effectively dissolve the existing Overwatch League as we know it. That's the reason that Activision and Blizzard have approached these teams with those plans and asked them to vote on whether or not they want to go along with it, whether or not they want to be a part of that future for the OWL. The problem, at least financially speaking, is that if the players, who are the ones that are going to be voting, choose not to go ahead with the plans that they're presented with, the league would effectively be wrapped up and each of those 20 teams will receive $6 million, which would, of course, total a pretty chunky $120 million bill that would have to be footed by Microsoft... Um, now that's not pure profit for those teams. It sounds uh, good, it, doesn't it? Before you, yeah. When you if you just leave it there, it sounds pretty good. You're like, hang on a second. If I say I'm not down with this, you'll give me six million dollars. I am not down with this. Um, but no, the uh, of course it's important to know that each team reportedly paid seven point five million dollars in fees just to play in the league, and of course there were millions more spent in operating costs across the six or so years that the league has been running for. Um, so we're looking, Jonesy, at a bit of a tricky impasse. Obviously, the um, the Overwatch League, as we know it, even if you know people went along with the the, the proposed changes, would look considerably different. It would they people would also have to deal whether as uh, as as competitors or as people who are financially invested in the league, or even as viewers, people would have to contend with the fact that there is now uh, Saudi Arabian involvement. You know, the the, the ESL Facet Group are owned by the Saudi Arabian state. You and I were discussing the sports washing that is going on around the world at the moment. Uh, you know, Anyone who's a fan of, whether it's football or uh, that's soccer, I should say, or golf, or watches you know, the UFC or the WWE or boxing, knows that there's been an increasing amount of involvement from um, from Saudi Arabia to try and get involved in various movements across sports and esports. So that's its own sort of kettle of fish. Um, and then there's the financial implications, which... $7.5 million is a lot to spend 
on uh, on a league that has kind of been in decline for a little while. So the opportunity to recoup $6 million of that and still have a potentially bright future after the fact, which we can come on to in a moment, might be appealing to some teams. Yeah, it seems like the crux of this is that they decided to switch to a franchise model, which, um, so from my understanding of a lot of American uh, sports teams, is like for Amer American football, for example, is they have franchises whereby, so each of these 20 teams effectively own a part of the league. And then if you get advertising revenue, you know, if you if you win a competition, if you win the league, you get like more money. Um, and so you, it's effectively it's a way to have sort of a guaranteed income, right? It's always going to get divvied between these 20 teams and your incentive to do better is to get more money. So these teams are owned by, um, a lot of them are owned by people that own traditional sports teams as well. Um, but mm. It would appear that because of the decline of the league, and as we said, it was the most expensive league, uh, esports league in the world, that they've decided to switch back to this open circuit system, which is similar to what existed um, before the franchise. So back in, uh, before the franchise system, before 2018, um, you've got to assume that if that's the case, and one of the reasons that are these uh, the vote is happening is because if you've paid 7.5 million plus in order to be part of this franchise league, and you're effectively told. By the way, we're liquidating the franchise system. We're going to an open circuit system. Um, you know, if you want to be part of that and you and you choose to carry on, you're going to be in the hole for like a lot of money. Um, mm. So that's six six million, whilst it's not going to cover the amount of money you've already put in, like we said, seven point five million plus. It's going to go some way to sort of covering your costs and allowing you to get out, save yeah. a bit of face. Um, and I think it's it's been suggested that a number of these um, owners of these teams would get out completely of esports altogether. Um, I think they've already said as much. Some are uh, um, uh, planning on sticking with it and sticking with Overwatch in the open open circuit system. Um, I think it's a real shame, really, for like Overwatch in general. I think Overwatch has had a really bad uh, like number of years after the bit of you know the shit show that was Overwatch Two, and um, which is ironic because you know we talked about how Modern Warfare Three isn't really a new game, and Overwatch Two wasn't really a new game, and yet and they were you know we're going to make it anyway. Um, there's a number of issues with it and it's kind of apparently dying a bit of a death. And I, every time you hear about a big esports game, people sort of talk about it in the sense of it's going to be the new football. It's going to be the new this. It's going to be the new that. And it never is. Um, you've got to imagine that Overwatch was maybe a decent bet a number of years ago to sort of at least uh, be the start of, of a big online esports game. And then it just kind of seems to have taken a bit of a nosedive. So, but yeah, I always think these things are a shame. I, I was like it when things do well, because if we say do well with an esports league, it just means that a lot of people are enjoying it, and apparently that the enjoyment has gone down. Um, but they, yeah, <laughs> there you go. I, yeah, no, I, I I agree. It is a shame. I, I think I was slightly taken aback to know that you know even if all of this was put together when Overwatch was in a very healthy position and possibly still had a very heavy future, to hear that it was the most expensive esports league ever did slightly take me aback. But I guess, yeah, that it is interesting to consider and to to, uh, to remind ourselves that public sentiment is ultimately what drives a lot of the viewership of esports. And for as much as there is a lot of uh, sometimes even an unusual or, or, or kind of an, an odd looking amount of money that flies around in esports, that's oftentimes, and you and I have experienced this firsthand, it's because esports came along and seemed like a hot property and a lot of people were very keen to get their money in esports without having a very clear idea of how they could get their money in esports or what side of the esports formula. Like, do you own a team? Do you do you back a game? Like, do you create a channel? Do you create a means of broadcasting esports? Everyone went in different directions. No one really knew what was going on. 
and we're now getting an increasing amount of evidence, and this is the latest in uh, a small string of them, admittedly, that a lot of money was perhaps misallocated in that kind of land grab to find out where the future of esports might be. And you're right, like we are still looking for, you know, where the mainstream, true mainstream adoption of esports will come from, if anywhere, because you have things like the Overwatch League that is finding its fate is very much tied to the fortunes of the game itself, which, as you said, following Overwatch 2 has been not in a healthy place. Certain things have been very consistent and perhaps even had, you know, you know, big, big upspurts up of growth. You know, you look at something like Counter-Strike, which has been around for a very long time, but then CSGO only seemed to grow in popularity over time. I know that CS2's had a bit of a rough launch in terms of, you know, from a gameplay perspective, but I'm sure it'll prove to continue to be a popular esports. The fighting game community seems very strong, um, but that I feel like when I say strong in that context, it's like this weird asterisk of within this weird portion of the internet. And like, for as much as major, major broadcasters like ESPN have shown an interest in esports, I don't know when we get to the day where, you know, a, a primetime Sunday afternoon ESPN slot could be taken up by the final of, you know, some kind of esports tournament. Exactly. I mean, maybe that you like uh, which game it's going to be and why. Um, yeah, it is. It is weird because I think the funny thing is like we've been privy to sort of a number of conversations with people over the years. Uh, you know, probably going back like ten years, where, where they've said, "What's the next big thing in esports? You know, what should we be looking at?" Yeah. We've known people that have worked uh, very closely in that industry. You know, creating media, trying to work with people who are making teams and trying to really push that. Um, and it, but it does seem like a really hard to pin down uh, area of gaming, which is, and maybe it's just the nature of it. Like you know, people want to play Rocket League, they want to play Overwatch, they want to play CS:GO. They don't necessarily want to sit down, as you said, on a, on a Sunday afternoon and watch uh, the final of some big event. But but yeah, I I think there will be a day when that becomes a thing. Um, I don't know what it will be. I don't think it will be Overwatch two, um, but hey, it remains to be seen. Yeah. And, and of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, because I know someone would correct me if I didn't, that of course, there are other countries where what I'm saying isn't as true as it appears to be here in the UK or in the US, for example. I know that in parts of Japan and South Korea and China, esports has been massive. And there have been lots of, you know, MOBAs in particular, you talk about Dota 2 or League of Legends, I know RTS games as well, Starcraft, of course, going back a very long time, they've become massively popular spectator sports. But... Uh, I, th I feel I slightly we, bad for looking. Sorry, we, no, no. I, th I think you're not wrong. For I, I was going to say, I think I I would have expected. I think you're probably in a similar boat that there would have been something comparable to like the World Cup by now. Right, esports. We, we, you know, we maybe not the same size as the World Cup, but just something that kind of gets people across the world excited and talking na international teams. And I'm yeah. I'm surprised there isn't. Um, and let's go. It kind of, and I know this is a bit apples and oranges, but it reminds me of, was it last week where we were having a weird conversation, or I, I suppose I was making a weird and probably not particularly good point about how games, video games aren't the same as other games, and if you include sports as a game, then it kind of comes under that same bracket, like, Solitaire's a game, but it's not going anywhere, poker's a game, but it's not right. going anywhere, football and rugby and baseball and basketball, they're all games, but they're not going anywhere, and yet an individual title, like a singular released video game, doesn't have any of the staying power or broad, at times, international appeal. Like, there's no... Yes, you could maybe say that, like, 
Counter-Strike isn't the sport. FPSs are the sport. Or maybe FPSs aren't even the sport. Esport itself is the sport. But it's very hard to know, like, where the comparisons can and cannot be drawn between esports as, you know, as that everything that it envelops and other things that have stood the test of time and other things that have become massive um, spectator sports, you know, with broad international appeal and television rights being worth significant amounts of money and the competitive element um, being communicated to people even if they're sitting in their living room watching on a TV. Like, why is it that when you watch professional footballers play football, you go, well, they're yes, I can kick a ball, but not like them. But you don't sit there and go, yes, I can click a the left mouse button, but not like them. It's it, There is still this kind of this way of thinking of like, why am I watching other people play video games? I think we, I, I think it's because we're not there yet. Like, I suppose the equivalent for me would be, you know, you talk about like poker, for example, it would be like they're still designing the deck of cards. So first person shooters right. are will get there. But at the moment, they're still working on things like frame rates and graphics and and um get level types and uh you know is it capture the flag is it is it king of the hill and i think they'll get to a point i would imagine where it effectively becomes um less so about the game because all of that stuff has been sorted out like people know the the you know you can play the best fps shooter in the world and rather than change the game you just change the map type and i think that will be something that happens and it will be uh, 240 frames a second the every everything else will be absolutely impeccable. It'll be realistic graphics. It'll be spot on, and I think those will be the days when it's you, you're not going to suddenly have everyone jump ship to another game because of the new fad comes along, which is kind of what I think happens these days. Which is what stifles esports for spirit specific games is because the new thing comes along, everyone jumps onto that, and then suddenly anyone who would have invested the money in in the game that you were playing, like we've just said with Overwatch Two, all that money's gone, and it was a waste of money. I, I think it will happen, but I think maybe we should. Uh, Lock down the tech. Lock down the tech. It's you know, it's going to be bloody interesting to see, and I, it's one of those things that does make me realise. You know where you grow up, and you begin to wonder when you are going to be the person that crosses over into old fart territory, <laughs> who doesn't understand why what the kids like or why they like it. Yes, it is one of those things where, like, I feel like I might be an eighty-year-old one day, still watching football or soccer, um, as surrounded by. Uh, I don't know if it's ambitious to say grandkids, we'll find out, um, who are like, why are you watching those people kick that ball, <laughs> Grandpa? Like, yeah. why wouldn't you just watch the like the FIFA tournament? Um, like, they, <laughs> yeah. they, yeah, I don't know. Like, and I would say you're missing the point, but Lord knows how many times I've said that to my parents. No, I, I think there will be a day when that's, when that's how that works. But for example, like, I think that'll be the day when they no longer release FIFA every year. It will just be that there is, FIFA exists, and it's constantly updated. The AI uh, software developer is constantly updating it. It's always improving it. It's always it's adding new players constantly. And it's an ecosystem that exists. And you don't have to yeah. think, oh, am I going to buy FIFA 3035 or whatever the hell it's called now? EA yeah. FC Play. No, it is. You've got an EAFC. Almost like when Activision renames the Call of Duty application on the PlayStation to just Call of Duty and releases Modern Warfare 3 in such a format where it ends up being considered or listed as an expansion to Modern Warfare 2. <laughs> or when Ubisoft release Assassin's Creed Infinity, your one-stop shop and ongoing hub for all future Assassin's Creed games. Yep. Um, we're getting, see, we're getting there. We are, we are starting to knock at the door of, of that sort of thing, aren't we? I guess so. And if that means I have to download, you know, fewer 
70 gigabyte 80 gigabyte maybe even bigger games every uh, couple of weeks then maybe i can get behind that um <laughs> if it's software on the software on the hard drive space we'll see um but jonesy sometimes you don't have to keep uh, reinventing the wheel or finding the next new hot things to create something immensely popular sometimes you just have to tap into that old drug nostalgia and give people something that um, that they've been missing, even if they didn't know that they were missing it. And that's exactly what Epic did this past week with Fortnite, uh, following the return of the OG Battle Royale map. And they have seen some bumper numbers. Um, so they reached new highs. That's new highs of 3.9 million concurrent players. The previous peak, for those wondering, was 2.8 million. And that was back in August with the release of Chapter 4, Season 4. So blitz that by an additional 1.1 million concurrent players. And if we go by their tweet, the total number of players on on one on a given day, I think it was the day following the release of the OG map, was 44.7 million players who registered 102 million hours of play. It was the biggest day in Fortnite's history. Um, which, do you know what, Jonesy? Like... Nothing to do with esports necessarily, but when we ta are talking about the fortunes of a game and how player counts seem to go up and down and what dictates or what defines uh, whether or not a game is popular, especially in the era of being labelled a dead game, the second like I don't know the, the second you're not in the like the top five most watched on Twitch or something like that, um, it's an astonishing reminder of the power and the pull of tapping into something that people have very fond memories of. Uh, to already have what is essentially one of, if not the, depending on you know on platforms and and regions, biggest games on the planet, and to have your biggest day as one of the biggest games on the planet, um, pretty astronomical stuff. And for it to be as simple as, as I said, tapping into nostalgia and going back to a map that a lot of people remember very fondly, whether it's you know from you know early lockdown sessions or whatever it may be. Um, it, <laughs> Kind of frightening, but also weirdly, uh, is it endearing? I don't know. I'm, I don't know which adjective to settle to settle on with all of this. It's a tricky one for for me. In some sense, it's like I, it's yeah, it's endearing, it's cutesy, it's like oh, we're going back, we're going to give the fans something that they want. But how Epic have fared recently, you know, like laying a lot of people off and things, um, and sort of taking this decision, um, you know, you've got to wonder if actually rather than just do a bit of. Um, you know something for the og fans is effectively to say we need to something to help us to give us a bump and this is oh this is something you can only do once um like you're, you're never going to get i don't think you're ever going to get your, your record day again because you went back to the og map of Fortnite. like a not, so it's it's a strange one for me because you're going to get you've got to feel good about hitting that high but at the same time you've got to almost be a little bit lamenting the fact that to hit that high you had to go backwards surely you'd be better you'd be happier going forwards and hitting those highs and continuing the growth um that way um but, but, but I, i'm 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 glad they did it for the fans like i've i've not played fortnite for a very long time and even when i did um i only played it sort of like sporadically um yeah i mean it's it's it had to wane at some point right like fortnite wasn't gonna build continuously like in game with the annoying friggin building with oh the building <laughs> <laughs> which I, I will now never play that game with them in again like for as long as there is a build free mode that will be 
what I continue to to tap into whenever I do dive into Fortnite, which is not very often, and I haven't gone back to see the OG map because I don't have the nostalgia for it. No. Um, but I think you make a, good, a very good point. There's, I think that if you offered Epic, you know, these kind of numbers and had the and offered them the chance to have them associated with the OG map or a new chapter, there's no question that they would pick the new chapter because, as you said, they want that incremental growth. They want to at least present the idea that this is a game that's growing, you know, week on week, month on month, whatever the case may be, um, because that just looks far healthier for the life cycle of an ongoing live service video game. Um, and then there's also a part of this which, which is like, you do wonder to tap into some of the maybe the more cynical elements that you were you were hinting at. You do wonder if this was a card that was up their sleeve for a little while, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. look, we delivered something that was incredibly popular. Part of its like ongoing popularity is because one, there's always going to be a subset of fans that think a game was never as good as when they first played it. I think that's just an, an inevitable fact of ongoing lives of his video games. Everyone's best memories are some of the first that they created. And those memories tend to crystallize in a very positive way, kind of like, you know, certain relationships. Some people, you know, they break up with a partner and they have a horrible time. But a few years later, they only really remember the good times. And they go, actually, they were kind of, they were all right, you know. Um, there's, I'm wondering if there's a bit of that with... Let me call with, Sheila. Right, exactly. And Epic have been hovering over that number in their contact list. Probably they might have been doing it for months. They might have been doing it for years. Always knowing the day we pull this card out, we're gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be massive, but to, yeah, to kind of tap into what you're saying, is it one gonna be massive for a negative reason? Because hey, you peaked early in the eyes of some players, you were never able to live up to this thing again. And the second you move on from this, because you're gonna have to and go back to new shit, people are gonna start complaining again. And two, you probably can't do this again. And if you do, it's not gonna be nearly as successful unless. Fortnite goes on to be a thing for like fucking a, a decade at this point and then you can go back to it but that just doesn't seem likely does it it doesn't and the other thing which is horrible about um and this is not a critique I'm not I'm not like a anti-capitalist or anything but you know companies are uh perpetual growth machines in like this day and age if you if you're not growing as far as they're concerned you're failing and so you've got to assume that even though they've hit you know their biggest uh player count ever for for one day and they've done 3.9 million concurrents. The problem they have now is without something coming out that is going to blow everyone away and only bring a whole bunch of new people in, you've got to imagine now that the growth starts to, from this point, is just going to go back down again because it's going to re you know revert back to the mean, um, which is going to then, in, say, six months' time, a year's time, Epic are going to look at Fortnite and be like, oh, we've instead of growth, we've had decline, uh, ma maximal decline because they had such a high high. Which which is ridiculous. I know that is ridiculous, but that's I think how companies often look at these things these days. If you're not constantly growing at the same rate, then they're like, well, you're failing, and then that's when you start to see, well, now we need layoffs, and now we need this, and now we're going to cut that, and now we're going to reinvest somewhere else. And so I, I do kind of worry for um, for some of that. And but then the, but on the other side, I will say that Fortnite and Epic are incredibly innovative, and we've seen some um, very cool. Uh, uh, events and things happen in Fortnite. We've seen interesting ways of using yeah. that game universe um, that I've never seen other, any other games use, like uh, concerts and, and um, live events that people can take part in and some very cool ways of doing things. So I'm, I'm hoping that Epic do have something up their sleeve that they can pull out to... Um, so hopefully maybe next year we'll see, you know, this is today is our new best day for uh, Fortnite ever. And it wasn't, it wasn't last year with the OG map. 
Yeah, we'll see. It it almost feels like less of a question of kind of like how, how to Fortnite hard pivot into something else, and maybe more of a question of like how long is something like Fortnite around, and how long to Epic continue to support Fortnite to see the way the ways in which the industry changes and the demands of players changes to see if Fortnite are still best positions to meet those demands because. Um, like it's interesting you mentioned there like events and concerts I know that a lot of people have been pumping the brakes on conversations around the metaverse and so on and so forth but like I think we'd all have to remind ourselves that if metaverse or metaverse adjacent entertainment became a big driving force in the next handful of years Fortnite is still still very uh, Fortnite epic but you know as, as a big bracket are still very well positioned to take advantage of that yeah you know you still have um entire games well what, what is it is it called it was it everywhere um, oh the the um rocket the build a rocket boy yeah, yeah. But, like you still have entire games that i'm sure are currently um feeding off of you know you know funding in the tens of millions from from whether it's venture capitalists or whatever the fuck it is angel investors that you know you look at those trailers sometimes and while they are building some very bespoke experiences off the side that look like their own thing, some of the fundamentals of some of those projects look like things that Fortnite already do and will continue to do. Yeah. So we just have to kind of watch that space. And the other element that is interesting is that um, CEO of um, Epic, Tim Sweeney, has been making some statements recently, unsurprisingly, given the 800 or so staff members that were laid off not too long ago, as we covered on the podcast. And one of those quotes was, quote, while Fortnite is starting to grow again, the growth is driven primarily by creator content with significant revenue sharing. And this is a lower margin business than we had when Fortnite Battle Royale took off and began funding our expansion. Obviously, the second half of that that sentence is, you know, the, the comparison between the two. And if, But if we ignore that for a moment and look at the idea of creator content, and of course that takes a lot of different forms, and I know Epic have a lot of different relationships with creators, but whether you look at things like Minecraft or I think the other one that I'm having to slowly kind of wrap my head around and accept as a thing is Roblox. One of the big growth markets right now that I'm sure a lot of people and Epic have to be amongst them are continue to look at is user-generated content. And it goes back to, ironically, what we were saying about um, uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3's campaign in a lot of respects, which is um, the idea of people building their own fun. But of course, what we're learning through Roblox, through Minecraft, and, and slowly but surely through Fortnite, is if you give people the right tools to make their own fun, so that the end products of that of you know of their creations are actually interesting to engage with and draw in other players and building little communities of themselves to the point where I think you were telling that anecdote about one of your kids the other day not necessarily wanting to play minecraft but wanting to play this thing within minecraft that was what they were going to yeah but minecraft is still what they're launching i wonder how big a, a growth area that could be for fortnite and again i wonder what the land grab around you know ugc is going to be like for these massive massive multi-billion dollar companies as that continues to grow what, what's really interesting to me is I've not played, um, I, I've played some of the um, creator content stuff inside of Fortnite, but I've not played much of it. Um, I think I played it very early on when it, it sort of first came out and there wasn't much there and what was there wasn't great. I have since played Roblox, like with my kids and my kids are like, oh, I'll play Roblox. Can we play Roblox? Can we play like a God Tycoon? Can we play Robot Tycoon or whatever? You know, these very right. popular games on Roblox. And the thing that absolutely blows my mind that I think some a lot of actually people and gamers would have no idea about but is 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 terrifying and also in very clever 
that Roblox does that I could not. I, I wouldn't be that surprised if if Fortnite did. Um, you know, if they can capture that sort of audience, is uh, like the, with the idea of like Robux. So I don't know if people know, but so like micro, microtransactions we're all familiar with, but microtransactions in Roblox work a little differently um, in that they are affected. Like let's say you had ten pounds in your account, the robot, the the um, the microtransactions are in game. So effectively, you run over a pad and you will pay ten p to get like more money more quickly in the game. So you can affect. So, so you can run. So you could, there's a rocket launcher on the wall. Uh, in like say cod zombies and rather than have to have thought about this beforehand and you know done a microtransaction or whatever it would be effectively you'd run up to the wall and you'd grab the rocket launcher but it would cost you uh 10 real 10p in real life and that is what roblox does um with robux and it but it, okay. it absolutely baffles me and sorry go on is that sorry is that a case where the person who's made that game has chosen to put down that pad in that game yes and they're making money it, it, obviously in partnership with roblox because that game has become incredibly popular yes so they so they've put that there they've put um uh double your cash like in one of these it's all like i said to you the other day you know like these games are almost like cookie clicker games you could yeah. effectively like double my rate of of cookies if i uh spend uh one robux and so they're very small incremental amounts of money. It's not the same as microtransactions, but I am not surprised that they make money hand over fist. Like my kids already, and I know another kid who's a bit older, who have pumped in like 50, 60, 70 pounds of real money into yeah. Robux that they then burn through um, in a couple of weeks buying in, in-game uh, uh, bumps and perks, which are, so, which are not... This is the thing, they're not even skins. At least if you're playing Modern Warfare um yeah. you go and you say i'm going to play the multiplayer i'm going to buy this this skin you keep it and you have it these are these are like in one instance of the game you you've just spent some real money to give yourself a little bump like it's so irrelevant but it's cuz it's children and because it's it's very low amounts of money but when you multiply that across so i'm like if fortnite started to had we're like hey we could eat some of that market you know, we can have some of that. I wouldn't be surprised if they they had the same sort of ideas. A bit of a tangent, but anyway, like Ro- Roblox is I mean, Roblox is a is a weird thing to me, and it's the the quality of the games that are like very popular are rubbish. Like I'm talking, you could make, like people out there in our audience who I know like like a bit of game dev game development. They could make them in a day, and they would have right. games that were producing real money within a week, and it's kind yeah. of baffling. That's the thing that Roblox almost has going for it, I think, in its push to really, truly broad mainstream appeal amongst a number of different demographics, is that I think, like, mechanically, when I look at Roblox, when I look at what character models look like in Roblox, and when I look like, when I look at what almost everything created in Roblox looks like as a result of just the tools that uh, creators have in their hands, I'm like, I don't really want to interact with that. And I think that, that, you know, there are certain demographics and children are primarily amongst them who are kind of immune to that. Like they kind of, there is that sort of blissful middle ground where if something's fun or if their friends tell them it's fun, then then who, you know, you know if there's grass on the pitch, play ball. Um, but, you know, you and I perhaps would come to a, something like that with a slightly more discerning eye. And I think that's maybe one of those areas where Fortnite has a little bit of an opportunity to kind of fall back more ground is that whilst some people do um, say, you know, some unkind things about Fortnite's art style. They might say some things about 
you know like the character models or their proportions or you know it's often used as like the, it's, it's become the go-to title when you're trying to describe something that's perhaps overly bright or cartoony or saturated or vibrant or any of these things i'm not saying the negative but that's the association fortnite's got but still that as we've seen when it comes to the creator tools that epic have made available and the experiences that you can make within the kind of extended fortnite creation suite um you can make things that look pretty darn nice yeah and one thing i think that gives the opens the window for and it is a thing i can't remember the name of it um but I remember about six months to a year ago, um, I think it was five maybe of like five really big content creators all within the Battle Royale space. I know Tinder Tapman was one. I'm pretty sure Ninja was one. Um, Cypher PK, who I think is a Fortnite guy. I know Nick Merckx was one. I can't remember the fifth, if there was a fifth. Um, but basically, massive content creators um, all within the uh, Battle Royale space, as I said, and, and most of them with at least some tied to Fortnite as well, essentially announced a new Battle Royale that they were all coming together to develop, kind of like Dr. Disrespect is, right. but they were making then brand new Battle Royale game inside Fortnite's you know creation suite. Right. So it's essentially, I, I, they probably went behind, you know, they probably circumvented some of the usual shit to sign a very specific and, you know, bespoke contract with epic for what the deal is there um i doubt they just took the, the split you know the or the circumstances or the clauses that epic usually present with to creators but like that's an example of a game that has the capacity to be big enough to become a title that you don't even say the word Fortnite when you're discussing yeah. and yet it would still be an extension of that world the extension of that universe and epic would still have their tendrils in it and i think there's it's going to be very interesting when we get to that space where and I can't see that happening with what did you say, like Robot Factory or something like that, uh, like Robot Tycoon or something like that. Robot Tycoon. I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't know that Robot Tycoon will ever become a thing where I say to a friend, "Let's jump on Robot Tycoon," and we talk. That's all we say. Um, but I can. I do think that is an eventuality where almost the creations get separated separated from you know the thing that's essentially hosting them. And that's how these things get become bigger than we could ever even imagine. So what's weird, so the strange thing to me is, and I, I'm going to put a few things together, um, is so that's so that's how. So I know a, a kid who's he's he's ten. Um, okay. He talks about games. Uh, he'll say, "Have you played this game?" And I'll say, because he knows what I do, he knows that I do a podcast, etc. Uh, and he'll say, "Have you played this game?" And I'm and I'll say, oh, "I've not even heard of that. What is that?" And he and he'll say, "Oh, it's on Roblox." And I'm like, "Well, no, of course I haven't played it." Like, oh, that's, that to yeah. me, that's because as I'm with you, I'm like, you would need to say to me, have you played this game on Roblox? It's called this because all the games on Roblox aren't like, they don't feel like they're not fully fledged games. They're, they're like vignettes, if you like, they're, they're ideas of games and they're, they're concepts or they're game mechanics that have a quite a simplistic whatever. Um, but the way that the kids talk about it, they don't even talk about it in the sense of there are other games existing which I find bizarre. And when you come to like the, the microtransactions, I think part and parcel of why Roblox does it so easily and kids just don't even think it's it's controversial because like, we're from a different era where microtransactions were incredibly controversial. Pay to win is incredibly controversial. Roblox, it seems, a lot of it has none of that issue. And I think the yeah. reason being is because their primary audience do not know a time before apps and smartphones and where everything costs money and and you constantly are saying to your parents like can i have this can i have that is this is this much yep. fake money and you have to be like fake money is real money 
but they but that's that's how they get you like my kids will still say about minecraft and stuff they're like oh can we can we download this skin or can we download this this um uh this mod for minecraft and i'm like you know that that's five pounds of real money and it's the 10th one you've asked me for this month and every time you play them you play them for half an hour and get bored i'm like you really want me to drop 50 quid on on minecraft mods that you're not going to play um and i do think there's a disconnect and i do think that's unfortunately i think we'll see my microtransactions and stuff and roblox is going to be the i think will be the entry point for a lot like i said it's it's scary how easy they've implemented it and how happy kids are to part with real money I, I'll give you a little aside. So the 10-year-old I know um, got a bunch of Pokemon cards. He really likes Pokemon cards. Uh, happened to get one that was worth quite a bit of money. Sold it for £150 um, to uh, someone who wanted it. You know, a collector on, I think it was like Facebook Marketplace or something. He didn't, but, you know, through through adults facilitated yep. it. So he had 150 quid, and he wanted to put that entire £150 into Robux so he could spend that on roblox and i was like mad i said to him what are you gonna buy with it and he would uh stuff in roblox and i was like yeah but it's just a you just use it and waste it and then it's gone and yeah it's, it's it's insane like you're not actually buying anything but yeah totally totally down to do that and i think i think i would i worry and maybe i'm maybe maybe i shouldn't because maybe the um systems that be will stop it from happening but i think that that's just destined to grow with that age group as as the what do you call them gen alpha get older they're going to take all that stuff with them through the games industry and we're going to end up seeing crazy like you know you'll be going to vendors in games spending real money like you that'll, then, be, that'll be it but then spending real money would at least almost be a step in the right direction because like you, you talked about it there but like that insidious idea of like when you create something when you create a different form of currency that feels totally removed from you know, real money and the money that you would theoretically spend on other things that it feels different and of course like they all do the exact same psychological tricks like very rarely whether it's v bucks or whether it's um rope i don't even know how robux work but i can almost guarantee that when you change one pound or one dollar into robux there's like a 100 or 1000 x increase in the amount of that because they want you to feel that you have as much as you can possibly have so it's always you always have an amount in the thousands and you always have a certain amount of leftover and that amount left over is never enough to buy something so you always have to top up again to take advantage of that last little bit that's left over that's not enough to buy any one thing like there are all if there are already an incredibly scary amount of kind of I, they're not like dark patterns but i'm sure there's another kind of word for it like the kind of the the psychology behind a lot of the ways that these um fictional currencies these digital currencies i guess uh, work and operate and, and how they uh set to take advantage of you so that's one thing that does kind of frighten me um maybe uh, we should do a live stream yeah. at some point we'll we'll live stream roblox and we'll like put 20 quid into it and we'll see how easy it is to uh to spend 20 pounds of real money in a oh i'm, so, I'm sure i'm sure it will be frighteningly easy and like we've all made mistakes before like like i i remember when again one of the versions of this that existed when i was growing up and i, I know you would have overlapped with it as well was having a, a mobile phone maybe it was your first mobile phone and your parents took you to the to the shop and uh, it was of course it was a pay-as-you-go mobile because that's what everyone was at the time and you got topped up with 20 quid so you could text all your mates and you went home and you know you bought um, a version of baby cakes as a ringtone and somehow you check your 
balance the net later that afternoon and you lost all 20 quid because you you also wanted another ringtone of um i believe in a thing called love and when you listen back to it on your nokia engage you're like this doesn't sound anything like a this is a really bad like chiptune version of i believe in a thing called love um so there, there were there have always been pitfalls designed to take advantage of people who i get just take but it's it does feel like they're becoming significantly more sophisticated and by extension insidious and i do hope that in some of the ways that they have already have uh that that you know, whether it's the eu or whoever like um people step in and protect children at least from themselves or protect parents from children which is also <laughs> yeah. something that's needed to happen a number of times absolutely um well jonesy um for now neither of us have had our, our wallets or our bank accounts rinsed out by free-to-play games um but that might happen in the future so i will give one last shout out to the super show patron patreon.com forward slash super show if you want to make sure that jonesy's uh, bank account doesn't get slowly but surely drained by his children spending it all in 10p increments so that they can double their cash in robot tycoon then that's the place to go um i know it's been a, a, a slightly uh slightly snappier slightly snippier episode of the podcast this week i will take full responsibility for that um for showing up late um and leaving all of the organizational responsibilities on Josie's shoulders and for that Josie, for 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 steering the ship this week and making sure all of this went off without a hitch i say thank you well thank you for uh, your epic hosting uh not at all it would have been nothing were it not for the beautifully laid out bullet points of information you have provided me on everything happening in the games industry this week i'll also give a special uh shout out a thank you to everyone watching uh live with us on youtube right now um whether you're in the chat i can say i've got to open now jonesy so i can see the lovely names of people who have um been chatting with us along the way and uh the the people who are watching along silently whether it's because they want to lurk or they just don't have anything interesting to say shout outs to all of you and of course even if you're catching up on this after the fact on youtube on a podcasting platform wherever you may be we thank you for tuning in um and we ask you to eagerly anticipate uh next week's episode same time same place even more content and hmm, do i promise this am i gonna spend the money i'm I'm gonna say it just in case it happens first hand hot takes on modern warfare 3 you've heard what the critics have to say now hear what a fat loser with nothing to do with his life but call of duty has to say um Shout out to Brux Plays, watching from Tokyo this week. That's exciting. That is very um, cool. I'd love to go to yeah. Tokyo. I would love to go to Tokyo as well. If you're listening to this at this point, I, I, you know, I don't know how many people still are at the very, very, very end of a podcast like this. Let us know where you watch from. I'm always interested to see and to hear just how international the audience is. And we hope you can join us again, whatever time zone you're in, this time next week. Thank you, Jonesy. And thanks again to everyone out there. We'll see you next time. Cheers. See ya.